Our reading today is Psalm 70. Hasten, O Lord, to save me. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May those who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, turn back because of their shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. Down by the bay, where the watermelons grow, back to my home, I dare not go. For if I do, my mother will say, Did you ever see a cat wearing a hat down by the bay? I was uh, walking around the ward the other day at work. Um, for those who don't know, I work in hospital. And I found myself singing that. Why? Because it's an earworm. It's one of the nursery rhymes we have uh, on CD in the car and listen to round and round and round. And it really gets in your head. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> the words of today's psalm brief, as Roger pointed out kindly to me this morning, um, appear uh, in Psalm 40 as well, uh, almost identically, and slightly changed in a number of other Psalms, suggesting that perhaps these words were a bit of an earworm for David that he used to call on God when he was in dire straits. Now, we know that the Spirit helps us when we don't know what to pray, but isn't the problem often that we don't even think to pray? On um, Thursday morning, we were driving up the M5 on the way to see Emily's family. I was somewhat stressed that this sermon wasn't ready. Um, and uh, both boys were screaming in the back of the car, and Edward decided to open the door at 70 miles an hour. Um, I would love to be able to report that I prayed and said, Lord, help me. Instead, I just completely lost my rag. Um, but wouldn't it be great if next time something's going wrong, instead of a curse coming out of our mouths, this earworm comes into our minds and we say, God, God, help me quickly. But maybe you read it and you feel you couldn't talk to God like this. Well, this morning we're going to see four reasons why you can and why it's a great prayer to learn for times of need. So it encourages us to pray boldly to our God of grace, to our God of justice, to our God of honor, and to our God of glory. So firstly, pray boldly to our God of grace. In the message translation, verse one reads, God, please hurry to my rescue. God, come quickly to my side. Can we really talk to God like this? Isn't it a bit self-centered, a bit too bold? Now, as some of you know, we've just been in France helping on a kids' camp, and um, our boys are never happier than when eating an ice cream, as uh, in the photo that's about to appear. Um, 
even if it is in a supermarket car park, hardly the most <laughs> idyllic place. But uh, we, um, for the week, we had to live to a slightly different timetable to normal because we were dealing with 11 to 14-year-olds, not 2 to 4-year-olds. Um, and one of the refrains of the week from our boys was, I'm hungry. And, uh, can I have a snack? Um, and we perhaps as Christians feel like to pray, God, hurry to my rescue, is a bit like that. It's like a child moaning, I need help. But David isn't moaning. He's praying boldly to his God of grace. Now, the story goes of an army veteran uh, waiting outside the White House to see President Lincoln. He didn't have an appointment. He had just joined the crowds waiting, trying to get a chance for an audience with the president. He was old and frail and couldn't really stand against the masses trying to push to the front. He had no hope really, but meh, what else did he have to do? So he waited. A little boy came along in front of the waiting crowd. So the old man thought, mm, may as well chat to him. As they taught, the old man explained his issue, and the child took him by the hand, walked him to the front of the queue, then passed the front of the queue to the front door of the White House, then passed the guards. No one questioned him what was going on. All the way to the door of the Oval Office, where the boy banged on the door and said, Daddy, can I come in? That boy was Abraham Lincoln's son. He didn't need to wait like everyone else. And he had taken that old veteran through to his daddy. Now, when this psalm was written, David was living under the old covenant. It was in relationship with God, but not knowing the grace shown to us through Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, a Christian under the new covenant, in his grace, God has adopted us as children. We don't need to wait like everyone else. We can be urgent and bold. In fact, it brings God glory to acknowledge, as in verse 5, that we have a need and that he is great enough to meet it. Have a look at verse 5 again. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. We are acknowledging that we have a need and that God is the one who can meet it. But actually, it's even better than that, isn't it? Hebrews 4, those verses we read at the start of the service, they tell us, sorry, that's quite small, isn't it? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we pray, we don't talk to God on our own merit. Otherwise, we'd be like that veteran waiting in the crowd, hoping to have our chance. Instead, just as Abraham Lincoln's son took that veteran to the Oval Office, so we approach the throne of God with Jesus, our high priest, representing us, understanding what it is to struggle, to suffer, to be mocked, 
knowing what help we need. If we pray with fear, it denies all that Jesus has done and is doing for us. We must pray boldly to our God of grace. So pray boldly to our God of grace. But secondly, pray boldly to our God of justice. Now, a few, I don't think any of them are here actually, but a few of our young people will be starting secondary school in a couple of weeks. And I want you to picture the scene. A young boy's just started secondary school, doesn't really know everyone, he's desperate to fit in. It's the second week of school. The class is silent doing one of those nasty French vocab tests, and I can say that because I'm married to a French teacher. Their first test at big school ever. It's a difficult test, but not too bad. But the boy at the table next to him, he's clearly a bit stuck, and he's trying to get his attention. That first little boy realizes that if he helps out that little boy next to him, then he might be in with a chance to make some friends. So he whispers the answers. His neighbor writes them down, and then he hears his name. Graham, that was me. I was that little boy, and I got 200 lines, as did the person next to me for that. That is justice. I still remember it vividly. None of us like being on the receiving end of justice. Now, uh, I will admit, I had never heard the word imprecatory until Tim mentioned it last week. Um, but some of us will have read these verses. May those who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, turn back because of their shame. Read these verses calling on God to curse other people and we might feel really uncomfortable. After all, doesn't Jesus call us to love our neighbors in Luke 10? Pray for those who persecute us in Matthew 5. Justice, it isn't very attractive at times. But don't we long for justice when we see something like this headline? The first thing to say is that we need to be careful how we remember the character of God. Um, we don't like the media's claim that Christianity is about love and kindness. Um, some of you may have seen this uh, article in the paper uh, this week um, with uh, Sandy Toxvig writing an open letter to the Archbishop of Canterbury denouncing the church for its lack of love. But we don't like that, but actually aren't we also a little scared of the truth? Just think of these popular Bible verses. Um, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or uh, 2 Peter 3 verse 9 The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone's come to repentance. But don't they both come with a second part? Back in John, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And to Peter, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, this isn't easy to read or to say. And if you're new to church and Christian things, then please talk to me or someone else about these verses if you're uncomfortable about what they say. But we as Christians acknowledge this too. It's not easy. But we believe that God's justice was shown most perfectly at the time when his love was also shown most perfectly, when he sent his only son to die to free us from the condemnation we deserve. We believe in a God of justice. Okay, but can we really pray for others to suffer, even if it is just? Well, I want to challenge us a little bit. Not many of us are being attacked as David was when he wrote these psalms. But think outside yourself a bit. Put yourselves in the shoes of a Nigerian Christian being beaten by Boko Haram terrorists, or a Ukrainian Christian being attacked by Russians. Wouldn't you then pray for them to be turned back in shame? One Christian writer wrote of Western Christians, including us, is the issue that you aren't bothered by evil or that you think God isn't bothered by evil? Verses like these ones They're not a prayer of vindictiveness against a personal enemy. They're a prayer of vindication of a just God for his glory. That's why David can ask boldly. He's not worrying as he prays about whether God wants what he wants as well. He's praying against evil, and he knows that God cares, so he prays boldly. Essentially, he's praying, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So we've thought about ourselves, we've thought about other people, but I want us to move out one more level and acknowledge the spiritual battle uh, going on all around us. One author wrote this, my fellow Christians, have you ever stopped to think of the nature of the spiritual battle in which you're engaged? Every day our lives are being molded and shaped. Satan is attacking, And God, the Holy Spirit, is here to give power and strength to resist him. We cannot afford to play with sin. We cannot afford to live this Christian life on the circumference of reality. We are engaged in a desperate battle against powerful forces. And therefore, every day, we have to cry, Lord, deliver us from evil. We may not feel under attack in the same way as David. But, as with my difficulty managing my stress whilst trying to prep this sermon, we are in a spiritual battle. Don't mess around. Let's arm ourselves for the fight. So, whether we're praying for ourselves or praying for fellow Christians in the midst of suffering or for ourselves in the sense of that spiritual battle, We need to pray boldly to our God of grace and of justice. Thirdly, pray boldly to our God of honor. Two briefer points now. There's no avoiding the issue of mocking and shame in this psalm. Let's have a look at those verses again. 
May those who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, turn back because of their shame. David prays for shame to be brought on those who mock and attack him. Now, there are some in our church family who feel great shame due to abuse at the hands of others, for example, marriage breakdown, gossip or slander, online is now obviously an issue as well as in person, broken family relationships. And I'm sure there will be some for whom they've never spoken of their shame, nor the reason for it. There's another psalm that speaks of uh, mocking, another psalm of lament. Some of you may have already thought of it. It's Psalm 22, prophesying Jesus' death on the cross. Let's have a quick look at those verses. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. As Jesus was mocked on the cross, he took that shame for you. And here, you have an example to follow of how to pray for that shame to be put back on the one attacking you. Do you think you don't have the right because you're guilty too? Well, let's be honest, David, who wrote this psalm, was uh, hardly squeaky clean. He slept with another man's wife and then murdered the man to cover it up. He wasn't the perfect person praying this prayer. It didn't take away his right to pray to his God of honor, and it doesn't take away yours. As you do so, as you pray to your God of honor, your darkest hour can become your finest hour as you glorify your God through trust in him. If you are someone carrying a burden of shame, if you're in Christ, a Christian, God bestows you with such honor and dignity that Revelation tells us that one day, he himself, God himself, will wipe all tears from your eyes. Here's the same author as we read earlier. There are some things he delegates to angels. There are other things he can entrust to men. But the healing of broken hearts and the wiping of tear-stained faces is a task God himself will do. He is our God of honor. Let's pray boldly. So finally, pray boldly to our God of glory. Let's have a look at verse 4. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. Isn't this verse a challenge to us? How often do we read the Bible's calls to pursue joy and think, maybe later, once I'm done with that, once I've got through this time of trial. But here's David praying for other people's joy while he's in the thick of it. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of uh, Jim Elliot, whose husband, uh, who was murdered trying to take the good news of Jesus uh, around the world to people who had never heard it, she said this, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. However dire our situation, however desperate our prayer, David gives us a model here to not forget how glorious our God is how deserving of our praise and of others' praise he is. So as we pray boldly, 
let's give him glory. So, pray boldly to our God of grace, of justice, of honor, and of glory. But it's one thing to say this while we're all sat together reading our Bibles. It's something else to pray it when your world is caving in, isn't it? For many of us, there have been and will be darker days when our lives are affected by people seeking to shame us through family breakdown, abuse, slander, gossip, divorce, or when we face depression, face losing our job, face financial hardship, illness, the death of a loved one. These dark days will come. Let's learn these words so they're an earworm for those days. Let's learn them so that we don't have to think too much, but they just come to mind that we would first off call to God for help. But for many of us as well, there'll be brighter days. So let's think how we could pray this for others. Others in our church family here in Headley Park Church who are suffering, or even pray it for persecuted Christians around the world. Just a thought to finish. Wouldn't it be amazing if the regimes that cause our brothers and sisters to suffer in Afghanistan, North Korea, other places, wouldn't it be amazing if they were turned back in shame at what they have done? Let's pray. Hasten, O God, to save me. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. Lord, some of us here will be in a time of suffering where we need to call on you. And for those people, Lord, we claim this prayer now. That they would know your help and know your love and care even now. But we pray for all of us, Lord, that we might learn these words in our heart such that they would be there for those moments to call on you uh, not to lose our rag, not to curse, but to call on you, our God, to help us. And we pray, Lord, for your people who suffer around the world now, uh, in North Korea, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and all the other countries where they have uh, uh, a much harder time than we do. Lord, sustain them. Would they know these words? that they would be able to pray them. And we pray that their persecutors would turn back in disgrace at what they have done, that it might all be for your glory. Amen.